Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. I like what Pope Francis said when he talked about preaching and likened it to family conversation. Much of my writing, especially when I write for like the newspaper, I try and imagine that I'm at a coffee shop talking to someone and I just have a conversation with them. And if I were to sit down with you and just talk about important stuff, share the gospel with you, I would not lecture you, right? The homily is family talk. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, an associate editor at America Media, and an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we are joined by Joshua Whitfield. Josh currently serves as the pastor of St. Rita Catholic Community in Dallas. A former Episcopal priest, he trained for ministry in England, and after his conversion to Catholicism, he was ordained a Catholic priest in 2012 through the pastoral provision of Pope St. John Paul II. Now he lives in Dallas with his wife and their five children. Josh is a regular contributor to the Dallas Morning News and our Sunday visitor. He is also the author of The Crisis of Bad Preaching, Redeeming the Heart and Way of the Catholic Preacher, published in 2019 by Ave Maria Press. Josh, welcome to Preach. Thanks for having me, Ricardo. It's good to be here. I'm intrigued by the title of your book, The Crisis of Bad Preaching. In a nutshell, what is the crisis of bad preaching, especially bad Catholic preaching? I think so often after hearing a homily, we feel that a connection was not made either between the preacher and the people or between truth and the heart. And too often, I think we come away from that experience just as we're about to lift up our hearts, feeling that it wasn't a valuable use of time. And so that's a crisis when preaching is what it's supposed to be, you know, which is the preaching of the gospel within the celebration of the Eucharist. It's a crisis, but it's also an invitation. And I just want to share a few lines from the foreword to your book, which really inspired me. You said, as preachers, we must rediscover our place as public intellectuals, as members of a great company of preachers across time and traditions, and as persons of the church. And we must learn to beg the Holy Spirit to set fire to us and our words. We must renew ourselves in the way we pray and prepare and deliver homilies. And you're delivering this homily for a very particular community, so I'm sure you've prayed and prepared. Can you tell me a little bit about the congregation at St. Rita, which I know is a large North Dallas parish, but give me a sense of who's in the pews. 
Sure. So St. Rita is a great community. It's a large community here in North Dallas. It is affluent, middle class, upper middle class, diverse, mostly white. We have a parochial school of about 800 students. And, you know, you know this as well as I do. We've got saints and sinners and everybody in between, people phoning it in, people trying. Yeah. Hmm. So we usually invite the preacher on Preach to give a shout out to the community. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, my people know how much I love them. And, you know, I've got a weird story, which I've talked about in different spaces, being a convert and then married priest, five kids. You know, my hobby really is just sitting down. And St. Rita has made it doable because this remarkable love that Catholic people show their clergy, which you don't see in other denominations really. When we came on the scene at St. Rita, they just sort of opened their arms a little bit wider hmm. and made a really unique life possible for us. So yeah, I mean, I love St. Rita. It's the greatest parish on the planet. Sounds like a great community. So welcome to listeners from St. Rita. Welcome to Preach. Let's move to the readings. You have Matthew 10, 37 to 42, mm-hmm. and there are ways we can go with that gospel. You've gone with, I think, a less heard part of that reading. Whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. Mm-hmm. And then you've also drawn insight from the first reading and the oft-missed wisdom of a Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4. Can you just remind us, who is the Shunammite woman? Because I'm not sure that everybody will know who that is. So the Shunammite woman was a woman of influence, a well-to-do woman, relatively speaking, who received the prophet Elisha or Elisha as a guest. And she wanted to receive him probably because it made her look good, you know? Challenge was, can she receive not just the prophet, but the prophet's word? Mm-hmm. And of course, she receives the prophet's word, and then she is granted the gift of a son, right? As I read the story, I simply thought of the basic mechanics of it, you know, which is, can she do more than just piously and politely receive the prophet? Can she receive what the prophet is saying? And when she does that, good things happen. That's wonderful. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what this prophet is about to say. We will now hear Josh Whitfield's homily for the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. I don't know where he said it. I I heard it secondhand, something Augustine said. He said something like, God has so much to give you, but your hands are already full. It's one of those things that once I heard it, I, I've never forgotten. It reminds me of, of all that I desire, what I think I desire, what I want God to give me, you know, to become a saint and all that stuff. But it also reminds me of the stuff I refuse to give up, everything that I have in my hands, all that stuff I don't want to part with, don't want to get rid of, I want to hold on to with a, a tight grip. It's because I'm just not ready for the promises of an invisible God. St. Basil the Great said once that for many, it is prosperity of life that constitutes the greatest trial. Now, of course, it's all relative. You know, I drive a Toyota that's 10 years old, but really compared to most, still I'm 
really prosperous. Some people are really prosperous. Some people don't realize they're prosperous. Some are genuinely poor by measure. But there is trial in all of it for all of us. For each of us, there's trial enough. I've been in ministry long enough and I've been around people long enough to know that wherever you are in life, whatever your bank account looks like, there's trial. Even if we have billions or if we have barely enough food for the day, the spiritual challenge is similar, if not the same. The challenge is, can we trust the promises of an invisible God? I'm thinking, of course, first of the Shunammite woman. She made room for the prophet, and she received the prophet's reward, the birth of a son, which was for her a practical good, and for us Christians, for we Christians, an allegorical good. I also think of that other woman, that more beautiful woman to me, that poor woman whom Elijah knew. She gave from her nothingness, and she didn't have anything, and a miracle was her reward for it. The flower didn't run out, nor the oil run dry, and, and her son didn't die. It's a beautiful story. She too received a prophet's reward. Making space for the word of God, giving to God even when your hands are almost entirely empty. These are the spiritual lessons these women teach. Women, I'll be honest, most days are more faithful than me for they believed in the promises of an invisible God. Sometimes for me, that's hard. In the gospel today, Jesus is instructing his disciples, their apostles now, as Mark tells it. He's instructing them in the way of mission. We've all heard this before. It's true and demanding and beautiful stuff. It is what it is, and there's little I can do to enlighten you further about it. Take up your cross. Be willing to lose your life for Christ. Don't hold on to the visible so tightly that, that you lose the invisible. Don't trade heaven for earth, for you know very well that that won't go well for you in the end. You know this, I know this, it challenges you just as it challenges me. But I keep thinking, you know, I just keep thinking of the prophet's word and the prophet's reward. I mean, what does that look like in my life? What does that look like in our life together? To me, I think it looks like trying to be as faithful and as strong as those women who received the prophets. It looks like me trying to accept the responsibility that sometimes my word can be a prophet's word, and also that your word can be a prophet's word too. Not just mine, yours too. Which <laughs> makes me think, you know, like how, how well do we listen to each other? I'm the priest, I'm the professional Christian, you're supposed to listen to me, but I'm supposed to listen to you, the people of God. How well do we do that? Are our voices sacred to one another? And I think it looks like you and I doing our best, struggle though we may, to believe the promises of our invisible God. In just a moment, you're going to see and hear me say, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. What does it look like to empty our hands and receive the prophet's word, the prophet's reward? I think it looks something like this, like what we're about 
to do. It's, it's how our whole life should go, really. This, this walk to the altar with empty hands, believing as best we can, receiving this word, this flesh, because God really does, I believe, have so much to give us. Amen. That was Josh Whitfield for Preach. When we return from the break, we'll hear how Josh brings his whole self as a father of five, husband, and priest to the pulpit. Welcome back to Preach. Josh, as I was watching you deliver that homily, it felt like we were just sitting around, maybe a drink in our hand or a mug of coffee, and we were just having a conversation. I wonder if you can say something about your style of delivery. Yeah, I think so. You know, I like what Pope Francis said in Evangelii Gaudium when he talked about preaching and likened it to family conversation. Much of my writing, especially when I write for like the newspaper, I try and imagine that I'm at a coffee shop talking to someone and I just have a conversation with them. And if I were to sit down with you and just talk about important stuff, share the gospel with you, I would not lecture you, right? The homily is family talk. Earlier on in my preaching career, you know, straight out of seminary, I think I tried to impress a lot of people with what I knew and what I read and and that, you know, these poor people, they don't need to hear that. Mm. They, you know, they, they just need to hear me wrestling with the gospel alongside them as authentically as possible, right? Yeah, and I mean, and family talk is, I mean, it's authentic, it's also vulnerable, right? It allows the person listening to you, it allows them a mirror or a view into your world mm -hmm. and into your frailty. I think there's something about being genuinely vulnerable that people can detect and that people react to. Right. And that seems clear to me in what you're offering. You know, I mean, Aristotle talked about ethos, right? So it's the character of the speaker. And, you know, even growing up as a kid, listening to preachers, I could always tell the difference between the preacher whom I felt was somewhat wearing a mask and you didn't really get the real person. And I knew from as a young age that I didn't want to be like that. I'm not just some sort of machine relaying information, right? I mean, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm a priest, but we're all receiving this word of God together and struggling with it in our unique ways in our lives. If I gave off the vibe at all that I have the Christian life completely figured out and I live this Christian life, you know, wonderfully well, that would just be lying, you know? And being a parent of five kids definitely has brought home the fact to me that I'm not a perfect Christian. And so to not recognize that sort of communion with your congregation, I think is not good for preaching. The people of God can handle it. <laughs> what is the main message that you're trying to convey with this homily? Yeah, I think the main message is to try and help my people appreciate the good evangelical crisis. I mean, evangelical in the best sense that an adult Christian, I think, needs to come to. And that is 
at some point or other in your life, you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ. We're blessed, many of us, to have been raised within a church or within a Christian community or to be baptized as a babe. And that's a great, great blessing. But anybody who bears the name Christian at some point is going to have to make a decision for Christ. Otherwise, you get swept up, you know, any sort of twisted version of Christianity that comes along. You know, I've got to choose to be a Christian often. And being a Christian is not an easy sell often, <laughs> you know. So how does your homily bring us into that realization? I mean, if we can, in a slightly more didactic way, break down your homily step by step mm -hmm. so that preachers listening to us understand exactly what you're doing, mm -hmm. how would you describe what you've done structurally in this homily? Sure. I mean, I begin with this idea of God giving us something, right? That wonderful line from Augustine, which I think comes from one of his sermons on the Psalms. God has so much to give you, but your hands are already full. It does, at least for my congregation, a few things immediately. One, it alerts us to this sort of faint, hazy notion that God is God and God is the giver of things to us, right? Giver of blessings, giver of grace, whatever. This God of prosperity, in a sense. Yeah, right, right, right. But our hands are already too full, which speaks particularly to a congregation like mine, which is mostly affluent, right? Mm -hmm. And so it immediately sets up this dynamic, right? There's a good chance you're coming in and sitting down in the pews, and you'd be foolish to deny the fact that sometimes you sit there and you think, is this real? What is this, you know? And so that's what I mean, you know, those sort of moments or flashes of doubt that happen upon everybody when I use the phrase promises of an invisible God, right? Mm -hmm. So why on earth am I sitting in this pew on some random Sunday when, you know, I may have been baptized, I don't even remember it. I'm bringing my family here for whatever reason, it's habit or whatever. What's the point, right? And so... You know, that sets the stage, and I repeated that phrase several times, the promises of an invisible God, the promises of an invisible God. And that's the context in which we are offered this prophet's word, right? Like, do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you believe this sort of radical way of love when the cosigner of the loan or the guarantor of the loan is nowhere visible, mm. right? Why on earth don't I just go full... Nietzsche and Machiavelli. <laughs> Why waste time being a Christian? Mm -hmm. Why waste time caring about the poor? Why waste time caring about the disabled and the marginalized? And you've just done this now, but I mean, aside from maybe just repetitions of the promises of an invisible God, repeatedly you have these rhetorical questions. You know, can we trust the promises of an invisible God? How well do we listen to each other? Are our voices sacred? You keep asking questions. Is it a deliberate decision or is it particular to this homily? No, no, no. That's a deliberate decision. And I would say that's something I've come to learn, right? So when I was preaching at 24 years old, and not to badmouth 24-year-old preachers, I was telling people what to do. I was giving people the right answers as I perceived them, you know. And one, I, that just doesn't work. I think it wasn't honest earlier on in my ministry, presuming to tell people what to do. and so. The rhetorical questions that I employ these days, you know, really respects, I hope, the conscience of the person and invites them to make that choice for the beautiful life and for the Christian life. And I think in part our preaching is also supposed to be 
modeling, right? I mean, in the best sense, not to be moralistic, but it is sort of trying to show a way in which we can engage in conversation with others or in which we can bring others on board. And so the way that we speak to our congregation, you would hope that they would pick up from that how to interact with one another. Mm, I agree with that 100%. Sometimes the preacher does have to stand alone and fully inhabit the heat of the prophet. But those moments are really, really rare, to be honest. Most preaching, I find, is this siding up to the people of God whom you're walking this pilgrim ground with and talking about the gospel, making connections that you've found and and seen, and then trying to say, you know, Come on, let's keep going. So that's where you spend much of the meat of this homily, right? I mean, really just working out through these rhetorical questions what we can do, how we can go about this. Mm-hmm. How do you leave the people? What do you do to sort of leave them with a closing thought or something to do for the week? Yeah. You know, I assess my preaching and sometimes other preaching that I hear by Acts 2.37, where Peter has just finished preaching his very first sermon on Pentecost, and it says that everybody's cut to the heart, and they turn to each other and says, what are we going to do, right? And so I think good preaching will bring you to some moment like that where you think, okay, what do I got to do? How do I have to live my life differently or try and live my life differently? It should bring you to some point of action. But then also within the context of the Eucharist, it should, if you can swing it, dispose you to lift up your hearts in the Eucharist, which you're about to celebrate, right? And so that's why here, you know, I talk about, and I often talk about that bit, you know, behold the Lamb of God. I've been talking for the last seven or eight minutes on receiving the word. Here is their opportunity to receive the word in a slightly more sacramental way. But the disposition that I've been talking about the receptivity to that word is the same, right? I mean, that was really the line for me. You've summed it up beautifully where you said, it's how our whole life should go, really. This walk to the altar, believing as best as we can. Yeah. That idea of somehow in this endeavor that we undertake every week or every day for some of us to go to the altar, broken as we are, in search of something, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's amazing this Christianity stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, really, are conversations this delightful and enjoyable, especially because I felt, even though we don't know each other, we were speaking, as St. Ignatius would say, heart to heart. Yeah, right. And this was a really wonderful conversation. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. No, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Christopher Spielman. You can follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ 
That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And one more thing. Did you know that America Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you are already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox and you're reading them. If not, become a digital subscriber today for $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. Just visit the link in the show notes. If you've heard a great homily recently or know of a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please check the link in the show notes. For American Media, I'm Ricardo de Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.